BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Fall Measure After Hours. Today, the controversy over America's number one high school, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Virginia, deciding that too many Asian-American students is a bad thing. Such an interesting story this week on Full Measure, my TV show, Sunday, April 16th. It encompasses several important controversies today, controversies over our educational system, controversies over race and racist overtones. It surrounds a Fairfax County, Virginia high school that is consistently ranked number one in the U.S., Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. By way of background, about 8% of students in the entire county of Fairfax, where the school is, were black, but only about 2% of students at TJ were black. So black students underrepresented at Thomas Jefferson, not because of any conspiracy against blacks, but they were not able to pass the merit-based entrance exam at an 8% race reflective of their presence in the county. Meantime, 34% of students in Fairfax County were Hispanic, but only about 2% were Hispanic at Thomas Jefferson. So again, Hispanics far underrepresented at this magnet high school, 34% Hispanic students in the county, but only 2% at Thomas Jefferson. And then in contrast, 21% of students in Fairfax County were Asian American. However, they dominated at Thomas Jefferson. Asian Americans made up 74% of the student body. So overrepresentation of Asians at Thomas Jefferson. Again, 21% in the county, but 74% of the Thomas Jefferson student body. And somewhere along the way, uh, somebody decided this was probably not a good thing or not a fair or equitable thing. And according to some activists, a principal was hired from California who brought all these ideas with her, and advocates began lobbying for a change so that there would be fewer Asian Americans and more representation of Blacks and Hispanics. In 2020, Fairfax County Public Schools, which runs Thomas Jefferson, did make this controversial change. They tossed out the entrance exam. I mean, this was a huge change, arguably one of the toughest, if not the toughest, high school to get into in America, this magnet school specializing in science and technology, or what they call STEM skills. And of course, getting in was based on the aptitude that students could prove that they had. They didn't just want, of course, any student coming here. The curriculum was designed to be very difficult for high achievers in these areas. But they decided to toss out the entrance exam, and instead, they began evaluating prospective students based on what they called skills and character and background factors like economic disadvantage. In other words, if you came from a poor family, 
that would be something that could get you higher up on the scale. And now they were no longer evaluating you based on this merit entrance exam, how good you were at answering certain questions or what kind of aptitude that you showed. They also installed a controversial quota system reserving an equal percentage of seats for students from each of Fairfax County's public schools. This means that one particular school that may have a group of high-achieving students could have students excluded beyond the 1.5% quota that's allowed from that school or reserved for that school. And then another school that doesn't perhaps have as high of achievers would have lower achieving or less qualified students, at least less academically qualified students, going to Thomas Jefferson matched up against the higher achieving students because the lower achieving students were nonetheless the top 1.5% of the public school that they came from who wanted to apply to Thomas Jefferson. So this excluded many who would have gotten in by merit and replaced those students with those who were less academically qualified. How could this be a good thing for the school and for the students who are admitted, many of whom it could be said don't belong there, at least as the school was designed and under the old system, and many of whom really are being placed next to students that are so far beyond their aptitude and capability? Is that a good thing? Well, yes, say a lot of advocates. This is exactly what the school should be doing. Today in our podcast, you will hear from a former Thomas Jefferson student, Nicole Spatani, who is Asian and yet came to object to the merit-based entrance exam process at Thomas Jefferson. That's how she got in, but she later thought that was not a good idea, and she joined a group that led the fight to throw out the exam and start admitting more Blacks and Hispanics based on other factors besides merit. After we hear from her, we will speak to someone on the other side. Here's Nicole Spatani. And how long ago did you go to TJ? I graduated in the class of 2010, so it's been a little more than 10 years. Okay. Would you just in a paragraph frame the debate that's going on about what's happened for people who have no idea what's happened at this school? Sure. So for those who don't know, TJ is our shorthand for Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. It's in Northern Virginia, and it is currently the number one ranked public high school in the United States, according to U.S. News and World Report. And because of its ranking, its prestige, its uh, access to elite education, it's become the center of a firestorm between folks who believe that the status quo was not working for um, most of the families it was designed to serve, most of the students it was designed to serve, and folks who um, believe that the status quo was working. And so... Um, I am part of a group called the TJ Alumni Action Group that believes that we need reforms urgently in order to be able to live up to uh, TJ's mission of preparing well-rounded leaders in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math, because TJ was designed as a STEM school. And a big portion of that was the historic lack of diversity at TJ. It's been a problem for decades and kind of incremental reforms that have been tried over the years haven't yielded very many results. And so organizations like TJ Alumni Action Group, also known as TJAG, have been pushing for uh, bigger reforms, um, something that would make a more demonstrable impact on the lack of diversity, on the lack of inclusion, and other issues that have plagued our alma mater for a long time and are keeping it from fulfilling its promise and 
uh, meeting its full potential. In 2020, for the first time, TJ did make some very big reforms, particularly in the area of admissions. So uh, they eliminated the admissions exam, which had long been the key piece of determining who got into TJ and who didn't. They removed the $100 fee that was required to even apply to TJ. Um, they raised the minimum GPA requirement and took a more holistic review on students. And for the first time, they also expanded the incoming class. And then for some of those slots, gave it to the top 1.5% of every middle school in Fairfax County, which is where TJ is located. So these were some very big changes that had never been done before. And now we've seen two uh, new incoming classes with the admissions changes, and they are the most diverse classes that TJ has ever seen. Groups that have been historically underrepresented for decades have not perfect, but the best representation that they've had in a long time. And so for us uh, advocates of education equity, we saw this as definitely a step in the right direction. We don't think it's perfect. We don't think that the process is done, but we think it's moving in the right direction. Of course, there are others who believe that, um, that the process was more fair previously. We don't believe the data uh, bears that out. And uh, because we believe in that, we have gone to great lengths to uh, request the data, make it available publicly, and to um, analyze it and make our analyses public as well. Well, I guess it depends on what you consider fair. You know, when you, people say they don't think it's fair, or they do think it's fair, what is fair? Um, is it possible that you might not have been admitted under the current admission policy? Of course. I think it's very difficult to say whether a student would definitely be admitted under the old policy or under the new policy. And that's because there are so many factors under consideration. Um, for example, a narrative that we often hear is that Asian Americans are disadvantaged by the new policy. I don't think that's true. I am an Asian American, um, you know, and I worked very hard to get into TJ. But part of my hard work was not, um, was not something that everyone had access to. Not everyone had access to the same opportunities that I did. So as just one example, I got to receive prep classes to prepare for the test to get admitted to my high school. Not every student is going to be able to take prep classes. Their parents might not know about the opportunity. Their parents not, might not be able to afford that opportunity. So are there students who were just as smart as I was, just as hardworking as I was, who did not get the same chance that I did under the previous system? Absolutely. So although we can debate about the contours of the definition of fairness, I think it's ludicrous to say that the previous system was fair. Uh, just based on what we know, we have the data available to show that certain groups, low-income students, Black and Hispanic students, students with disabilities, even girls, um, were historically excluded from our high school. At what point did you decide that diversity was more important than pure merit? So I grew to have an understanding where uh, I no longer believed that merit and diversity are opposed. I think when I attended my high school, the lack of diversity was not only bad for the students who, uh, who didn't get admitted, it was bad for the students who were admitted. If we're talking about preparing students for the real world and to be leaders and innovators in their field, then they have to be prepared to work with others who come from different backgrounds. Um, the biggest change that we saw with the new TJ admissions process was actually not racial. 
um, it was socioeconomic. The draw districts for um, our high school are at least 20% low income. But prior to the admissions changes, less than 1% of the high school was low income. The first year that we implemented the admissions changes, that skyrocketed to over 25%. So we saw an enormous increase in the number of low-income students that for the first time had access to this outstanding education. And in my mind, um, it's very difficult to make the argument that all of the merit resided in higher-income families in these draw districts. Of course, there have always been hardworking, brilliant kids in low-income families who simply didn't have access to the opportunity before. So I think the new changes actually have raised the standards of TJ. I think diversity and merit go hand in hand. They are not diametrically opposed, as some would say. I don't think U.S. News and World Report has redone its rankings. I think they, because of COVID, they rolled over and TJ has remained at the top. Is it possible, do you think, that in the next 10 years, it becomes a different kind of high school that no longer ranks near the top or at the top every year of high schools? It's very difficult to say because U.S. News and World Report isn't particularly transparent about all of the scores they give to each category that determines uh, their final rankings. Even when I was at TJ, there were, before the new admissions process, there were years where TJ would drop to number two in the rankings and there would be a big panic about the quality of education degrading and I can't believe we're not number one and uh, a little bit of a moral fever of what can we do to get TJ back to number one. However, um, as a student there at the time, I would say there was no difference year to year. TJ provides an outstanding high quality education, irrespective of the U.S. News and World Report rankings. So uh, I do think the rankings play a major role in TJ's prestige and the willingness of donors to be involved in certain projects and programs and events, for example. But I don't think it has... Um, the actual benefit of reflecting the quality of the education. And I don't think it affects the students or the teachers or um, the people who are actually participating in the school as stakeholders as much as we, as much as someone might think it does. Do you know which racial background has been minimized the most under the new admission standards and which one has benefited the most? So something that folks who are opposed to the changes often point out is that the overall percentage of Asians has de decreased under the new standards. And that's just a fact. The total number of Asian American students as a percentage of the, um, of the student body has decreased from one class to the next. Do you know what it is approximately and what it was? Yeah, it went from about 74%, um, over 70% to about 54%. Um, now as a baseline, the uh, area that they're pulling students from is 20% Asian. So these students are still more than twice as likely to get admitted than students of almost any other race. Um, however, just looking at the data that way is an oversimplification. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for example, the number of low income Asians actually increased under the new system, even though the overall number of Asians decreased because low income Asians too have been historically marginalized. The number of um, Asians who are English language learners who don't speak English as a native language increased. The number of Asian girls increased relative to previous years. Um, and importantly, the group Asian is extremely broad. There are many different types of Asian Americans, including in Northern Virginia. We have Asian Americans with refugee backgrounds who are historically underrepresented at TJ. 
There are Asians from uh, Southeast Asian countries that have also historically been underrepresented. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of data on where the Asians at TJ are coming from. That's something that TJ Alumni Action Group is pushing for to actually get better data and more detailed information about Asian subgroups. So who is underrepresented? Who do we still need to do outreach for? It's not just, um, you know, Black, Hispanic, white student percentages that matter. There are Asian subgroups who we really need to uh, conduct outreach with, who we need to help give the resources necessary so they can participate and be fully represented at TJ. Some people who are opposed to the changes said that this is about targeting Asians who tend to be successful in this arena. And they say, if it were a different race, let's say TJ had been 74% black students, nobody would have been clamoring for more diversity and to change things. Is that true, do you think? I don't think that's true. I, when I was at TJ, it was actually majority white. And during the time I attended, it switched from majority white to majority Asian. And the concerns about TJ's diversity have been there from the very beginning, from the 80s. And so it's very um, misleading to say that people only care because it's majority Asian. I also think it's a misrepresentation to make it seem like all Asians are opposed to this issue. There are many Asian Americans, including Asian Americans in TJ Alumni Action Group, that support changes that think Asian Americans benefit too, and that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats and it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. And then my last question is, as an overview, what are your thoughts about some Asians and Asian Americans who feel as though in the big picture, it's almost like a jealousy reaction against the success that some of them have, or that it's perceived that they as a race have in certain arenas? I want to tell you know, other Asian Americans like me that I understand that feeling. I've had that feeling myself. Uh, there have been times where I was frustrated with the national debate on certain issues because I felt like it was very black and white. It excluded Asian Americans or um, sometimes, you know, there would be one token Asian American asked to represent the views of the entire group and maybe they didn't represent mixed race Asian Americans like me or second generation immigrants like me or, you know, people with my unique set of experiences. And so I think the place that that concern comes from is very valid. And so I want to acknowledge that and say that, hey, those of us who are supportive of these changes, we feel that too. It's not, um, you know, we don't uh, want to invalidate someone's experience of their own discrimination or their own marginalization. At the same time, it's a mistake to let that feeling that we've experienced um, turn us into a wedge against other minority groups. Uh, we, you know, aren't fighting against Black and Hispanic people, for example. We aren't fighting against low-income people. There are plenty of resources and plenty of opportunities to go around. We want everyone to have a fair chance and to be able to access those opportunities, regardless of whether they're Asian or they're Black or they're an English language learner or whatever their background is. And so um, I think framing it in that way and understanding that that's the goal and that's something we should all be able to work together towards is a much more productive way to approach the debate than and us versus them, well, if they're going to have more opportunities, then it must be taking away from us. They're jealous of our success. I think, I think, of course, there are always going to be people who, you know, envy success wherever it is or try to um, tear somebody down. Especially, we know in Asian Americans, there are stereotypes that people have about 
uh, limitations that they have moving up the career ladder. Oh, Asian Americans, um, for example, uh, people would say Asian Americans are hard workers, but they can't be leaders is a classic uh, stereotype. And so we know that these paradigms exist, but solving those paradigms doesn't come by stepping on someone else who is also experiencing marginalization and discrimination. It comes with addressing the root systemic causes that are pushing all of us down and making a better system that gives us all access to the things based on merit, based on hard work, and not limited by the opportunities that we didn't have choice over, such as how rich our parents were or where we were lucky enough to have uh, to grow up and to be in that zip code or, or whatever other factors we see right now are really skewing um, the results. The other side of the story coming up next. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Now we're going to hear from another important figure in this controversy. Harry Jackson is the parent of a Thomas Jefferson student, a student who was admitted in the last class that was admitted based on merit. Jackson and his son are black, and even though blacks benefit under the non-merit-based system in general, Jackson supports the old way of doing things and says it's just not true that Blacks, Hispanics, and other non-Asian minorities didn't have a fair shot the way it used to be. Here's Harry Jackson. I'm going to ask you specifically about TJ in just a moment. Yes. But do you have any general thoughts when someone says there's an idea that there is general racism or negative feelings about Asians? They feel some of them almost as though they're set aside or forgotten or that they're a silent minority because of the status they've been given in some places? I, well, let's talk about the silent minority. I think they are the inconvenient minority because they are so successful. And the, the perception, it's not a perception from my viewpoint. I would say it's fact that there is actual active anti-Asian racism and discrimination going on in this country. It's been seen particularly here in Fairfax County. It was the motivation behind revised admissions to Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology which at the time for the previous last two years was the number, nation's number one high school. I've also have seen it where in selection and admission of Asian students within the advanced academic programs where students are not being admitted, who have had stellar scores, being denied admission into these programs and other lesser qualified candidates of a different race. And it's not just black, Hispanic, but also white that are being admitted instead. Um, what, are, what are some of the things you hear, the sentiment that you hear about successful Asian students or families? 
the the good thing or the, or the bad the bad part. The I would ba- say the part that that jibes with the complaints that they are. It's it's existed for some time. I've been um, before I decided to to step into this and try to restore excellence in education because this attack on on the Asian community is actually being used in conjunction with attacking advanced academics. Um, I've been living in Fairfax since 2014. I've been a board member of the Fairfax County Association for the Gifted. I've interacted with parents that have let their comments slide where they don't want their kids going to TJ because they would feel like a minority when they're, you know, these are parents who are white um, or and because there's so many, because Asians. there's so many Asians or they, they'll, they'll make comments of saying all these, the Asian students, all that they do is that they send kids to these centers and they have them do test prep for the entire time where they're spending all of their time working on math problems and that they're denied a full and fulfilling childhood, which is, one, first, it's wrong. I mean, because parents realize that they treat just like sports. They just supplement their child's education. But I've, I've heard that sentiment. But now we're seeing those thoughts, those what they're thinking, what they're saying, and now what they're doing and what they've been doing since 2020. It needs to stop. The other side would argue this has nothing to do with racism or discrimination against Asians. It's about creating equity, what they call an equal playing field for people that don't have the same opportunities as the Asian families that are advancing in science and technology. Well, to counter that with the other side, particularly Fairfax County equity or to leaving the playing field, the only reason why those there would never be equal opportunities because they are the ones denying those opportunities to students. For example, in Fairfax County, we literally have segregated schools. Education redlining is a real, is a true example. Look at our middle school pipeline. The differences between Sandburg Middle School and, Whit- and Whitman Middle School, which is which are in the same areas. Whitman Middle School is not even in the same geographic region as for its zone four. They basically ship all this all the parents who are low income to one area, and then the school does it uses ESSER funds to support other pet projects and will not fund after school STEM and enrichment programs for these families. And they and these communities and schools are dependent on the support of the parental community. So what happens when you have a bunch of low-income parent, low-income families, single-parent households that don't have the time to invest? You're going to create those problems and those opportunities. But that doesn't, and that is the first issue. And the other issue is that they don't allow inter-district school choice. In some of these schools that are over capacity, you do have parents that are willing to transport their children to schools that have availability. There's no logical argument to deny that choice to the, to the student. So in this case, then the argument this equity, it's all about addressing their own, their own failures, and they're using Asians as a scapegoat instead of fixing the K-12 through pipeline system. Can you give an overview to people who aren't familiar with the whole dispute over Thomas Jefferson? Um, in very simple terms, what's happened the last couple of years and why? So what's happened over the last couple of years of Thomas Jefferson, and this happened back in 2020, it happened right after the George Floyd incident uh, that happened uh, where you know, he was brutally murdered and that the racial sentiment and we had active, we had an activist come from California, take a job over at Thomas Jefferson and Bonatana, she's the principal and start working with local community activists to generate support, to change the racial demographic of Thomas Jefferson, which was 76, 76% Asian to have it match the racial demographics of the Fairfax County. And their initial proposal, which was a merit lottery, so it was, a, was a merit lottery, would have made Asians from about 70% to about 20%. And 
and it would have increased the white percentage about 20% to 40%. And yes, blacks and Hispanics would have increased, but that was their initial proposal. And the way they did is that they wanted to limit or to, uh, they wanted to limit the number of slots per geographic region within the county that could get, that could get seized by that lottery. Now we fought, that was fought in court and that was fought before it went to court. The school board then changed the system to the flawed system that they have, that they have today, which is the top 1.5%, but it's not the 1.5% academically at each middle school. It's 1.5% that includes other factors that also consider as other things that substitutes race by proxy, such as low income or allowing through a problem-solving essay that allows a student to identify what their ethnicity is via those, via those problem-solving essays, which have nothing to do with STEM or, that STEM or mathematical proficiency. What is the problem you see with wanting the school population to look like the society at large? What's the problem? There's, well, first of all, there's, I would say in the K through 12, um, there's no compelling interest to, to do that. That's what local area high schools are for. TJ is a STEM school for those that have an aptitude in STEM opportunities. It should not be based off of racial gerrymandering. If it's 100% Asian, it's because you have that number that is there that are performing. Uh, and that just gives you the problem that they have with TJ is that it shows the outputs of the deficiencies that they've created in other area middle schools where they have course quality issues or you have teachers that are underperforming or you may not have a parental community that's engaged elsewhere in the community. Okay, and I know I'm asking the same question again. Right. You answered it, but to get at it again, it may sound like it may sound to some people like you've got this great high school that can ensure success practically for the people who go there and give them this great curriculum. Why should that all go to people who have been privileged in their life and their parents have paid a lot of attention to them and they've been able to take prep classes? Why shouldn't kids that haven't had the same advantages also get the chance to go there? Well, I think it's a false narrative to assume that all these kids are privileged because they don't know the backgrounds of some of, the, of some of these people. A lot of these parents um, aren't enrolling their kids in numerous activities or shuttling them back and forth. They're not taking yearly vacations to the Bahamas. They might take one or two vacation, one or two trips to see family, where, where family overseas, but they're deciding to make priorities. If we applied this to sports, there'd be an, an outrage. We don't talk about this with lac in the lacrosse community or baseball or basketball, but the academics, they're not, they have to realize that you have to treat it like sports and it requires that summer enrichment and these families are actually actively doing it. Now, to your point, what about these kids that aren't disadvantaged? Well, they're also ignoring the existing resources that are currently in place. So with this all discussion about race, and this just for, for, clear, for, for clarification, even at, when I was started protesting this, racism was not an issue in the parental community at TJ. In fact, I was the first black African, I was the first African-American president of the PTA that was voted in by the parents there that was, that was mentioning some of these issues. And a lot of these service providers, like all these test prep centers that they claim are serving the Asians, most of them have free scholarships that they offer to underprivileged children to begin with. So the opportunities there, the resources are there. There are tutors are there. There is the young, there's, I talked about young scholars. There's also a junior scholars that's at Thomas Jefferson that teach, that will provide those services to kids. There's also TJ Test Prep, which was set up by alumni with the sole purpose of teaching underprivileged, of underprivileged children. The problem is that 
these opportunities are there. The issue is that these services are not being referred to, to these services. And instead, what they've done, for those that aren't familiar, that there was a, a strategy back in 2012 to, to increase diversity at TJ. There was a few things that they should have done that they ne- that they failed through to do. One was develop a database of students and candidates. That they never did. All they did was develop a database of young scholars, which is in grades three through six of kids who are outside the advanced academic pipeline. The goal was to get them into the advanced academic pipeline. They never did that. The second goal was to fund STEM enrichment opportunities. Fairfax County since 2012 never did that. They only funded STEM interest activities, such as kids outside the program to get them interest, but showing kids the candy store without telling them how to get in. So they never provided that enrichment from the seventh and eighth grade. And the other thing they ever did was outreach. They failed and completely in outreach to students that would be of the caliber to go to TJ. And a lot of that has to do with was their failure to recognize that these students that can get into TJ, in many cases, they're in the private school community because the private schools are offering these family scholarships. And they have, they have that option and they, dip, they do no outreach or a database to reach out to those families to recruit them to go into TJ. So this problem didn't exist. It's just due to a lack of effort on the part of Tom, staff at Thomas Jefferson and the admission staff. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet with them when I was on the diversity committee, and I found out that the same ones that were running the outreach efforts were also get, getting grants to the TJ Alumni Partnership Fund to run their own summer programs to take kids on field trips that were never going to be candidates for TJ to begin with, but they were getting paid. So that was, so GAFT is an issue. Tell us a little bit about your son and what, if anything, you did to prepare him to get in and how he was admitted. What I did to prepare him? If anything, yeah. Well, I mean, we take education very seriously here. Um, he, was, he, was, he was identified as gifted very young in age. I mean, he was reading when he was three years old. Um, we looked to provide him the best education possible. Um, we didn't see, as particularly in Fairfax, we, didn't, we thought that we went to a private school. We were offered scholarship opportunities, just like many other minority parents that are, have gifted children. So he was there. He did a summer STEM enrichment, but he didn't do a test prep. And uh, he took the test and was admitted under the old merit-based process. Sorry, he's in the class of 2024. That was the last class that was um, admitted under the merit-based system. Um, These are the class where students had numerous National Merit Scholars, um, where had achieved under the old system where TJ was the number one high school in the country. The ones after him, class of 2025, 2024, they're under the new system where they've had to, uh, they've had to, unfortunately, they had to degrade the quality of the curriculum because the student body wouldn't be able to pass through and or succeed at TJ under the old standards. And there are fewer percentage of Asian students there. Yes, there are. I think the, the percentage went down from, I think, 75% to about 55%. So the uh, uh, he, Asians took the biggest, the biggest hit under the, uh, under the new admissions process. And then back to the overview again, um, looking at the big picture for, it seems like if, if that school had been 74% African-American or Hispanic or something like that, would we have seen the same, maybe we would have, but would we have seen the same drive to change it? Or is there something unique about what's happening to Asians? I think it's something unique having to Asians. You're right. Is it 74, 75% a black or Hispanic? Would anything happen? No. I think the question is, what if it were 74% white? We know nothing. They wouldn't have changed. They wouldn't have been, oh, no, we need more black and Hispanics here. Because that they don't make those arguments in the other area high schools, do they? But no, it's, it, again, it's, uh, 
you have to call it out for what it is. It's jealousy and fueled racism uh, that 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 impact that drove those changes to admission. If you're interested in this topic, you won't want to miss Full Measure this weekend, Sunday, April 16th. Well, if you do miss it, you can always watch it later online at fullmeasure.news, where we post the program on Sundays by about noon Eastern Standard Time. And you should listen to my other podcast this week, the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast, for a related interview with a fascinating man, Hung Kao, a Vietnam-born American whose central in this controversy an Asian-American who was in the first graduating class of Thomas Jefferson. He's going to talk about efforts by some to label Asian-Americans as white-adjacent or non-minorities simply because they, as a group, enjoy great success in American society and bust the myth that the deck is stacked against minorities here in the U.S. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if you did, you'll leave us a great review and share it with your friends. Be sure and check out my website, CherylAckeson.com, and click the store tab to support independent journalism by buying some fun and intelligent products for independent thinkers like yourself, such as shirts and mouse pads with slogans like, I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All my old ones came true. And do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. <laughs>